This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hi, guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. So, I'm excited to share this video with you guys. It is a QA with my former classmate who is also a nutritional therapy practitioner, and her name is Christine, and she is known as Nourishing the Littles.、Uh, we talk about how she believes in respectful parenting, what that is, and we also talk about nutrient density. Christine is a former teacher and now is a nutritional therapy practitioner, and she is also a Weston A. Price chapter leader in Chicago. She has a lot of great resources, and I look forward to you guys listening to this conversation. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. So, today we have the pleasure of having Nourishing the Littles with us.、Uh, Christine is a former classmate of mine, and we are both nutritional therapy practitioners.、Uh, we are going to do a QA and we are going to talk all things nutrient density, and we are going to talk about how to properly nourish our little ones. Christine, thanks for being with me. Thank you、uh, so much for inviting me. No, no. So, yeah, let's、uh, get into this. Let's get into a QA. So, why don't you introduce、um, yourself to some of my、uh, followers that don't know you? Yeah. So, my name is Christine, and I am from Nourishing the Littles. I have two littles a five year old and a three year old, a newly three year old.、Uh, I'm from Chicago, live in Chicago with my husband and my fur baby. And I basically work on.、Uh, Serving kids nutrient dense foods and respectful parenting. That's awesome. Yes. And we are going to get a lot more into that.、Um, so, Judy, can you introduce yourself for my followers and tell me a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Okay. So, I mean, I just、um, I became a nutritional therapy practitioner and I live in Austin, Texas with my two boys and my husband. My kids are the same age as yours. They are five and three and they are both boys.、Uh, I. Used to be a management consultant for over a decade. A lot of traveling, a lot of eating on the road got me kind of sick.、Mm-hmm. And、um, now I am eating a very meat based diet, a carnivore diet, and I have healed my depression and I would like to give back to the community. That's、so、awesome. That's- I can't wait to learn more. 
So I wanted to I wanted to get a little bit of information into um, your nutrition style. Explain what uh, meat based is and how that's different than other nutrition styles. Sure. So uh, I started actually eating a keto diet, and um, I noticed that there was the little like allotment of carbs would still trigger some of my old eating behaviors. So then like if I had a stressful day, or the kids weren't behaving, and I was just like at my wits end, I noticed that I would go back to the pantry and start eating even a lot of the keto snacks, the fat bombs. And so I decided to, hey, I'm just going to try carnivore. More and more, I learn about anti-nutrients that maybe fiber is not needed for us. I decided to just try it all meat and it's done wonders for me. So I don't crave sweets. And um, as I learn more and more about the nutrient density of meats, I realized that that is the way that we should be nourishing our kids. So um, my kids aren't fully carnivore. Um, There's several reasons for that, but I feed them a more low carb-ish keto uh, diet and um our main focus is meats and good fats. And um, that's where we have our essential nutrients that we need, as well as um, a lot of nourishment that they need to grow big and strong. And so um, in terms of carbohydrates, and I know we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but um, I know that they're not as essential. And, um, you know, I used to also feed my kids a lot of those like sweet, sweetened um, snacks, like the low carb um, with erythritol and all that, all those sweeteners, but I am trying to move away from that and go back to a little bit natural sugars like Manuka honey or maple syrup, because, um, there are some studies done that even if sweeteners do not raise your glucose levels, um, it can still raise insulin. And that's really the marker that we are trying to tame. Um, additionally, if you think about it, erythritol is made out of corn and likely GMO mm. corn. And yet yeah. there's no calories and sweeteners. It like, yeah. there's a disconnect there. Right. So, yeah. yeah, that's so cool. So why would, why have you decided to have your kids follow this more keto carnivore um, style of nutrition? Sure. So, I mean, as, so my youngest, or sorry, my oldest one was on a standard American diet and I just, you know, there were, I, I noticed he was always wanting a snack, always hungry, but then at meal times when we would have actual food and, you know, properly nourish, nutrient dense foods, uh, he wasn't really eating much. And I noticed yeah. he was like, he was very carb loving, always wanting a snack, always wanting junky foods. And um, as I shifted my diet and learned more about nutrition, I realized that I was not properly nourishing him. And so, I mean, we need fats. I mean, it's in every cell of our body, every cell that is um, the outer layer is protected by fat cells. I mean, fat, right? And so we need fat for hormones. We need um, fat for so many other reasons. And so I know that, I mean, carbs are not essential. And so in order Amen. (laughs) I totally agree with that. There is no such thing as an essential carb. Yes. And so we need to nourish our kids with foods that will allow them to grow. I mean, our brain, and I've said this several times already, but um, our brain is 90% grown, fully developed by the age of five, and our brain is 60% fat. So if you are not properly feeding that brain, then imagine what is creating that brain, right? If you're only feeding your baby like applesauce pouches and like little carby junk, like what is that brain going to be developed of? And that to me is a scary enough thought 
that I am focusing solely on like meats and good fats. And I, I believe that's how you feed your kids, right? Like how I love that. It's true. I, I tend to focus more on the protein and the fat, and then mm -hmm. I'll add in a little bit of carbs. But I know that that's really hard for the average parent, especially because I think a lot of parents don't even know what a carb is. And so they think, oh, I'm feeding them um, carrots, fruit, pretzels, mm -hmm. and, and maybe like a roll of like um, turkey or something. And that's like a balanced, balanced meal. When in reality, the majority of that meal is carbs. Right. And it's just, it's just lack of education. Um, right. But that's what we're here for. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I, I, and I used to feed my um, son the same way. And so if you look at old lunch boxes that I had, it was like, I thought I was doing a great job. So there was like carrots and like a ton of fruit and uh, there was almost no protein and um, no fat. And I, you know, I thought I was doing a good job, but um, that's unfortunately far from the truth. And so, I mean, we need to go back to feeding our kids protein and fats. Totally agree. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, now that I know more about food and after going through the nutritional therapy pr program as well, I always focus on when I'm packing lunches, okay, what's the protein and fat first, and sure. then maybe possibly add in a carb or um, that kind of thing. But that's great. Yeah. Right, right. Like, I, I really try to tell parents, the, the key thing to think about is that carbs and sugar, it's just a quick burst of energy, but it's not a source for longevity. So if you think about it, we will have that quick burst of energy with sugar. But if we constantly are feeding that burst of energy, it will get stored away as fat. And that's what insulin does when you have too much glucose. And it's this emergency state right. in our body. And our bodies just don't need that. Yeah, I agree. So I have a a fun question for you. Most pediatricians advocate for a low fat diet for kids. Mm -hmm. Since we're talking about the importance of fat, let's just roll right into it. And why do you think that um, that they do that? And what is that? Why is that not a good idea? Sure. So I think the reason why our pediatricians are pushing this whole low fat movement is because they think, hey, if you eat low fat, your kids will be less fat. And it can't be further from the truth. So as I just talked about, um, it's when we eat too much sugar and then we have this glucose uh, roller coaster with then insulin coming and then this constant, once the insulin comes and then removes the sugar from your blood because it's considered an emergency state. Um, and so then you're, you're naturally, you feel hungry because your energy dips because the insulin took away all the sugar. And then it's this vicious cycle. And so that's what causes weight gain. So when you, the insulin removes all the sugar from your body and instead, I'm sorry, from your blood. And instead of you being able to access that sugar and when, when you keep constantly feeding more sugar in your body because you feel hunger, then over time you will gain weight. And that is what causes like, insulin resistance and that's what can ultimately yeah. lead to diabetes um the but as we already talked about um i mean we need fat for so many reasons we need it for um all our cells to have the proper layer right we need it for hormones we need it for um neurotransmitters we need it for so many different reasons um and so if you want your kids to be stable and have stable moods we have to be feeding our kids um, high protein, high fat foods and not be sticking to these low fat foods, which also, if you think about it, when you remove fat from foods, there is less nutrient density, but there's also less taste. So what do the yeah. food manufacturers do? 
they add in a ton of sugar, which is even worse for the whole diet, right? And so um, on top of that, like if you think about milk, when they um, pasteurize milk and they also uh, remove the fat, they're also removing the fat the fat soluble vitamins. And so instead right. what we get are these synthetic vitamins. So they add in vitamins that are chemically processed to our milk. And that's where they're telling us to get our vitamin D and our calcium. But I mean, it's all fake. So those are the reasons why you should not be low fat foods. I know. And on top of that, um, oh, sorry, that's my fur baby in the background. But um, on top of that, uh, schools, public schools will serve things like chocolate milk and strawberry oh, yeah. milk. And did you know that strawberry milk actually has the same amount of sugar in it as a can of soda? So a, stra- wow. a carton of strawberry milk is the same amount of sugar as like a Coke. And that's that's what schools are serving to our kids and then expecting them to sit for hours on end in a day and be able to learn. Right. So, Yeah, I mean, so we don't really none of my kids ever really like strawberry milk, but they like chocolate. And I used to be baffled at how much sugar is in chocolate milk compared to uh, regular milk. And then on top of that, a lot of times they use corn syrup to make it sweet. So yes, right. it's, uh, it's horrible for kids. Um, horrible. Hey guys, just to let you know, my carnivore cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. So there's, this is a big question that actually a lot of my followers are really interested in. You mentioned one time that our body cannot handle more than four grams of sugar at a time. And I would love for you to expand on that. Sure. So if you think about it, the body has about five liters of blood at any given time. And um, I mean, and so that's a fact. And so then if you think about how our body's blood sugar is tightly regulated around 80 milligrams per deciliter. And so then if you think about that and you do the math, um, math, um, and I have a YouTube video, it's called the PB&J episode, but that one actually does the math breakdown on a spreadsheet. So I won't bore everyone that's watching this right now, but basically mathematically that breaks down to four grams of sugar in the blood at any given time, which is less than a teaspoon of sugar. So then if you think about wow. a pre-diabetic, that's about 100 milligrams per deciliter, and that equates to about one teaspoon. And then for somebody that's diabetic, which is around the 120 milligram per deciliter range, that is about one teaspoon and a quarter of um, sugar in the blood. So that just shows you how tightly regulated our blood sugars need to be. And it just takes a quarter of a teaspoon of sugar to can be considered diabetic. Like that's how wow. little m- more sugar you need. So then think about all the sugar that our kids are fed. It's okay to have more than four grams of sugar per meal. But if you just think about how often we consume so much sugar and we are consuming way more than a quarter teaspoon of a sugar, totally. of sugar right? And yeah. so think about the emergency state that your body has to go through to hurry up and rush in and clear out that sugar because otherwise it will it can cause a coma it can cause so many things it could cause a lot of issues so 
Um, that's where I always go back to that number of the four grams mm -hmm. at any given time. Like that is where your body feels bliss point of sugar in your blood. That's interesting. And I think the other, uh, you know, it's important to note that it's four grams of sugar at any given time. And you're right, the body can handle sugar every once in a while. But the problem is, I think we're doing it day in and day out for three meals a day, some, you know, five meals a day, if you include snacks. Yeah. And it's that accumulation of constant sugar that's causing all of these more severe issues with our kids and with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are told that oatmeal is a nutrient dense breakfast. <laughs> I have to get on my soapbox about this, but I know. we are told that it is um, such a nutrient dense breakfast. So we add to our oatmeal because it's kind of bland, right? We add a little bit of honey, we add like fruit on top, and then we add granola. That amounts to, I don't know, maybe like 70 grams of carbohydrates. And then we send our kids to school with that much sugar. That is a ton of sugar. And then they will initially feel the hyperness, right? All that sugar, they'll feel this hyper reactive response. And then over time, the insulin will come in, it'll clear out the sugar, and then they, they will feel um, tired and sluggish and they can't pay attention. And it's just and then what will happen is they need more sugar to then feel that constant high. And it's just so dangerous. And that's why over the decades, we are getting diabetes way earlier. That's why kids are getting non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I mean, yeah, yeah it's um, it's really, really unfortunate. Yeah. Wow. So can you talk a little bit about what are some nutrient dense meals that you feed your kids? Sure. So I always um, start with meat as the center. So um, I'd say like 80% of their meal is something related to meat or, you know, meat, um, an animal byproduct like uh, butter or eggs. Um, but it's a lot of meat. Um, I try to incorporate a lot of liver lately, um, maybe mm -hmm. bone broth because it has a lot of minerals. It's really gut, good for gut healing. And um, I mean, our kids, my rule of thumb now is we never make anything separate for them. I used to do that when Caleb, my mm -hmm. oldest, was young. So we would eat our meal and I would always ask him like, what do you want to eat? Do you want a PB and J yeah. sandwich? Do you want this or that? But we do not do that. There is no separation with our meals and our kids meals. So they will, if we have a ribeye, I'll give them a cut up ribeye and we'll have some eggs. We'll have, um, I'll cook it in either grass fed butter or grass fed ghee. Um, I will, we um, give pasture raised eggs and um, I mean, sometimes we'll do like low carb tortillas and we'll do quesadillas, mm -hmm. but I'll always add organic cheese or raw cheese. And then I'll add mm -hmm. um, like nutrient dense meats again. But um, there is no difference with our meals and their meals. And then I also do the same for their lunches. Yeah, that's great. I love how you're not uh, serving a different meal. Number one, it's just easier. I mean, yeah. no one has time to be cooking two separate meals in the evening. Right. And not only that, but then how are the kids supposed to learn um, to try these, all these new foods if, you know, they're being fed something uh, separate than what their parents are eating. So right. it's just all about modeling. Right. And I saw a post of yours recently where you talk about like the kids menu options. Oh, my goodness. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that was, um, I mean, I thought that was a great post. Yeah, I loved it. So it, it got inspired by a vacation I took this summer. We went to a beautiful hotel in the rainforest in Ecuador, and we were all served five-star meals. And I'll never forget that 
every night they would bring out our menu, the adult menu, and it's, you know, literally a three course meal. And they're asking you to pick from it what you want. And then they serve my kids their menu. And it's pizza, chicken nuggets, hamburgers. Yeah. And it was just floored. And so after the first day, I told them, you know, just only show me the adult menu, and I will pick something from the adult menu. And, and it goes back to this idea that we, our kids are, why are we as a society not serving them the nutrient-dense foods? They, they should get the highest quality foods yes. because, I mean, they're growing, they're developing, and in, especially in the short age uh, period that you talked about, so zero to five. I mean, zero to three is when the gut is developing, yes. and then five, the brain. So this is the time to serve the most nutrient-dense foods. And that is not, unfortunately, fried foods or really low-quality foods from, uh, from these restaurants. Anyway, and so, I mean, I get it. A lot of people like to eat out. And basically, I wanted to offer other options for people who wanted to eat out and not sacrifice that. So right. um, pick something from the adult menu. Share some, share a side, share an appetizer. Uh, talk about it with your kids beforehand, so that you know there's not there's an understanding between the two of you that you know this time we're not going to get pizza. <laughs> You're yeah. going to have something different, and it's just it's also about expanding their palates. If we're constantly serving them the same types of food always, then their palate will be accustomed to that, and yeah. then they will be less likely to try, like I mentioned, the different textures, consistencies, flavors. Uh, those sorts of things. So, right. And you mentioned in that post also about how Weston A. Price, like the father of nutrition, right? He went around other countries and he found what, like, what did he find? Yeah, that was amazing. So when he was going around all these other countries, uh, one of the biggest things he found was that the highest quality foods were fed to children and pregnant women. And these foods were generally uh, raw meats, organ meats, uh, fish, eggs, eggs in general, liver, um, butter, raw, raw dairy, things like that. Uh, these are the most nutrient-dense foods to feed to kids and pregnant women. And as I mentioned, I mean, that's a far cry from pirate booty yeah. and veggie sticks <laughs> of today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm on the same page as you. So when we go out to dinner, uh, we will just have our kids share in an adult size menu. And we yeah. don't even look at the kids' menu. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's always the same. I mean, no matter where you go, whether it's an Indian restaurant, an Asian restaurant, uh, like a Mexican restaurant, the the kids' menu is always the same. It's like it a pizza, hamburger, chicken <laughs> tenders, um, maybe yeah. corn dogs. It's insane, but it, it doesn't yeah. matter what type of restaurant. They think kids only eat like five different types of foods. And it's it's really unfortunate because they should not be eating those foods because we are setting them up for failure if we keep feeding foods like that, that have no nutrient density. I understand this is a tough one because for parents, it's so much easier. It's so much easier to just serve them the kid menu, they'll be happy and, and we don't have to think about it. But I think that in today's day and age, we need to step it up and realize that it, it's time to change the way things are. Uh, in, for the health of our kids and for this future generation, which is projected to have an insane amount of uh, chronic disease, infertility, uh, shorter lifespans than we right. have. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and no I more think, excuses. <laughs> right, and I think the ramifications are, you know, I know a lot of people say a, a lot of the excuses I get from parents are, well, we grew up eating that and we're fine, or come on, live a little, like our kids can eat that, they'll be fine. But, you know, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, fine, right? There should be balance in life. I totally get it. And I mean, my kids don't always eat 100% clean. Like that's, it's impossible in our modern society, right? But yeah. if you feed only those types of foods um, day in and day out, um, the ramifications are pretty serious, right? So if your kids are suffering from autoimmune disease or have allergies or they have like skin irritations or their moods are all over the place where they're throwing temper tantrums and they can't focus, they seem like they may have like ADD, all of those can stem back to their foods. And so I think parents think, oh, they're just being kids. But actually, no, I think a lot of that is their diet. And so mm -hmm. while it may seem easier in the moment when we're eating, it's not easier in the bigger picture to parents. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why parenting is becoming more and more difficult as you know, as the generations are going. Yeah, yeah, you either pay for it now, uh, yeah. up front with your dollars, or you pay for it later in the doctor's office, or, Absolutely. you know, things like that. So it's kind of deciding when you want to pay for it. And the other thing too are these symptoms that have become normalized, just like you said. Yes. So mm -hmm. eczema is normal, uh, digestive issues like constipation and diarrhea are normal, bloating, um, erratic behavior, depression, anxiety. But unfortunately, these are not normal. Yes. These are signs that there's distress in the body. And we, we have to kind of get that out of our head. Uh, this is not, these are not the types of people that Dr. Price found when he was, you know, traveling the world. I mean, right. he found super robust, healthy individuals, like I mentioned, with wide palates, no teeth crowding, no cavities, um, kids who could swim in uh, like 30 degree water. And they just, you know, their immune systems were like so strong and, and living up in the Swiss Alps and um, they could withstand those kinds of uh, harsh climates and things like that. And it was because right. of what they ate and being outside all the time and things like that. So, yeah. And I mean, but, my oldest is a testament to all this. So he was a full on carbivore, right? So he had <laughs> three meals a day, three snacks a day. And I was always like, oh, you, I have to constantly feed you. So this is how you can grow, not knowing anything about nutrition. And so we had, I would be giving him vegetable pouches and fruit pouches, doing thinking I'm doing him a service, right? And he's always constantly snacking because I thought that's the way that I'm going to have him grow. Um, and, but the thing is, he, when once he started preschool, and I think he was around three, he got every illness possible. So he would get mm -hmm. hand, foot, mouth. We had to go to the emergency room because he had a febrile seizure from that. Now, wow. fast forward time and now like a lot of his classmates will be out because they're sick and Caleb will maybe have a little bit of a runny nose, but he never, yeah. like our kids never get sick this past winter. Um, and my son is, my youngest is three. So he should have gone through that whole cycle of getting really sick. Yeah. None of that's happened. They might have a cold for half a day or a day, but nothing that knocks them out. Like Caleb used to get sick. Um, Caleb used to get a lot of weird skin rashes and like hives and, and now they don't get that. So it's such a clear indication to me that it's the food. Um, there's this one incident where my husband took them to Panda Express, um, not the proudest moment, but 
the, that <laughs> okay. evening, <laughs> that evening, uh, I, I don't know if it's the inflammatory oils or the car, you know, the bad carbs or whatever it was, but they started getting rashes. And, and then oh, wow. and again, it was like the clear indication, like, look, and I was showing my husband, like during their bath time, they're getting hives and it has to be the food. Like what, a, what other exposure did they have? And yeah. so, I mean, I, I think if parents just were to commit and eat maybe just solid nutrient dense foods for one to two weeks, they will see an, a huge shift in their kids' behavior as well as like symptoms they have um, in physically. Yeah, I totally agree. So can you share with us um, what, how can parents transition from packaged foods to real foods? What are some sure. tips that you would have? Um, so I would, the, I, I think first and foremost, I would clear out the pantry. So go through yeah. your refrigerator, go through your pantry and any foods that you know, deep down aren't probably the best quality foods. Um, I would get rid of them. Maybe you have a little small section in your pantry that are like the less than qual high quality foods, but you know, you're going to permit it. Maybe you have a little bit so that occasionally you guys have a treat. Maybe initially you don't have that at all so that it's just, you know, you remove it from your environment, then the easier it is, right? Like in um, James Clear's Atomic Habit book, Atomic Habits book, he talks about when you change your environment and you remove things from your environment, then the temptation is less there. So yeah, maybe initially if you remove all bad foods in your pantry, your kitchen, your house, um, the less temptation you have, right? So it takes more effort to go drive to the market to get that junky food. Um, right. I think it's doing that. And then like you had already mentioned, uh, modeling. So making sure that as parents, you are, you know, practicing what you're preaching. You don't tell your kids, hey, don't eat the fries, but then you're eating a bag of chips, right? Right. So you need to make sure that, you know, I saw a quote the other day, like, if you're willing to die for your kids, then why wouldn't you be willing to thrive for your kids, right? So like, eat the nutrient-dense foods, eat foods that will make you properly flourish and live, and then let your kids be able to live and thrive that way, right? So, um, so yeah, those two things. So clean out your pantry, uh, make sure to model behavior that your kids want to eat, um, that you want your kids to follow. And then go to the store and then shop the perimeter of the market, right? Make sure yeah. to buy less boxed foods. Like if the food can survive on a market shelf, it's likely not the best product. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. there are certain foods like maybe ghee that's um, okay, but um, in general, just um, shop the perimeter, shop more whole foods that there's no ingredient list, right? Like the ingredient right. of meat is just meat, right? So mm -hmm. um, I would ideally do that. And, you know, you will go through a carb flu or, and just so make sure to um, up your um, electrolytes because once you remove carbs, your kidneys will start to retain less water. And so when you drink a lot of water or liquids or diuretics, then you'll release a lot of your electrolytes. So that's why it's very important when you do a low carb diet to maintain your electrolytes. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I would just make sure go through that hump, but what you'll see at the end, the end result will be remarkable. Like your kids' behavior, the nutrient density, not fighting at the dinner table over food, like making sure that they eat. They will, if your kids are hungry, they will eat. They will eat meat. There is no kid out there that will not eat a juicy ribeye with butter because yeah. if they're hungry enough, right? And so yeah. that goes also to no snacking. So, oh, yeah. you know, 
I think a lot of the snacking is habits. We grew up without a lot of snacking, right? Our grandparents, mm -hmm. when we came home from school, if our parents wanted a snack, their grandparents would say, no, you got to wait for dinner. We now are like, oh my gosh, you just came back from school. You must need a snack. And we feed a snack right like a few hours before dinner. It's no yeah. wonder why our kids are hungry, right? And so we need to cut the snacks. And even if they ask, it's probably habit, not necessarily that they're hungry. Let mm -hmm. them whine a little bit, let them cry. But that period will pass. If you stop the snacking over time, they will not ask for it. My kids don't ask for it now when my son used to have at least three snacks a day. Wow. What are some of your tips? That is such an, well, actually one of my favorite ones is mm -hmm. I don't give my kids a snack between lunch and dinner. Perfect. So they'll eat lunch around maybe 12 or one o'clock mm -hmm. and then we eat dinner at five. Oh, okay. So it is a long time for them to go without snacks. And I do that. And usually the last hour at four o'clock, it's pretty rough. There are definitely some whines and, you know, crying. Um, they're hopefully, you know, hopefully they're outside playing. And so they don't, um, you know, come in whining so much, but uh, generally that's, for me, that's one of the best ways to get them to actually eat a full dinner. Um, in the mornings, it's a little bit different because they wake up so early. So, you know, they're eating breakfast at like six in the morning. Okay. Um, and, and then they'll probably have a snack sometime mid afternoon or mid morning, like around 10, nine or 10 and then lunch. Um, and then the other thing is butter. Give butter as a snack. If you give butter as a snack, I guarantee you, your kids not only will they won't overeat because you can't overeat eating fat, and they will feel full. Um, so I always have chunks of, or I have Kerrygold in the fridge, and we'll just cut chunks um, and you know hand them out. <laughs> like yeah, no, candy. no, no. We do the same. We do the same. Our kids love butter, um, and we use so much butter in our liver pate. And so that's how yeah. my younger son gets a lot of his butter too. So, yeah. I mean, I think those are good Thanks. examples. Uh, what do you feed your kids typically? Yeah. So typically, um, so I, I focus more, I'm a little bit different than carnivore. I focus more on, an, on ancestral and like West Nine price guidelines. And so we will eat uh, properly prepared grains every once in a while. Admittedly, I don't eat any legumes just because I'm not really interested in them. Um, and mostly cooked vegetables. In the summertime, uh, we'll eat a lot, a lot more raw vegetables because they're available. And, and that's the other thing is I, I work really, really hard to only eat local and seasonally. So, for example, I'm not going to be eating tomatoes in January. I won't be eating uh, dairy in January. Dairy is not available in the Midwest in January, um, in the mid because everything freezes over and it's cold, and the cows um, produce less. Yeah. And so, really, in the Midwest, what's available in January are potatoes, potatoes, squash, more potatoes. Um, so it'll be a lot more of like really hearty stews and broths with like really fatty cuts of meat. Um, and, but yeah, so I, I focus really on eating seasonally. Um, and a lot of protein, a lot of fat, as we mentioned, um, seasonal fruits and vegetables and properly preparing foods. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, so, um, one thing I didn't mention earlier is, um, my kids don't eat carnivore. And so, um, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I think if you properly prepare certain foods, then, uh, you know, a lot of the anti-nutrients uh, will be 
uh, removed. And so like a lot of the greens, for example, you can remove uh, um, the lectins and um, those types of anti-nutrients. I don't think you can really remove much of the oxalates, but um, yeah. yeah, but um, in terms of eating seasonally and locally, I've been trying to also transition more to that with my kids as well. So like you said, um, I try only to buy organic when it's on sale. And if you sort of use that as a tip, then your organic foods will only be on sale when they're normally in season. Otherwise, they won't be right. So if you order buy organic strawberries in January, I'm pretty sure they'll never be on sale. And so we yeah. never buy them. So we only buy them during the summer because that's when they're, you know, there's the harvest and there's a, um, a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. And so we try to buy that way. And I mean, I feed my kids uh, fruits and minimal vegetables. I mean, if they want it, I'll feed them. But, uh, you know, I think um, I think the West Nate Price method works, especially if you can if your gut is strong enough and you can handle it. Right. Like it totally. depends on like we yeah. learn. I mean, it's all bio individual. If you have yeah. an autoimmune or you have thyroid issues or something, you may not be able to tolerate vegetables as much or yeah. even certain fruits or if you're diabetic. Right. So it all depends. Um, but in an ideal world, yes, I think uh, Weston A. Price and um, feeding our kids that way is it's it's ideal. It, it truly is. Yeah. Um. So can you uh, tell me, what do you think are some of the safest fruit and vegetables for kids to eat? Yes, yeah, so I try to balance. Um, oh, so uh, one thing I wasn't mentioned, one thing I didn't mention earlier was, so the reason why I don't feed my kids carnivore, um, I, and I have another YouTube uh, video and I go into a lot more detail about it, but it's because, um, well, one, like if I only feed my kids meat, I don't want them to later grow up and then want to try other foods. And then they have a, you know, a food sensitivity or an allergic response because their immunity is not developed. Um, I believe in hormetic stress where, you know, if the stress is the great, the good is greater than the, the bad, yeah. then your body will become stronger. I know people are like, well, you could get that through, um, you know, cold water and red, th uh, red <laughs> right. light therapy and all that stuff. But I still think having a little bit of toxic foods makes your body a little bit stronger, right? So um, I, and and I, I think it's also balance, right? I don't want my kids to only take me to school and then they feel so different. Like, why can't I have a little bit of fruit? Especially if it's in season, yeah. it's organic, right? And all properly prepared. So um, I think all of that, all of those things need to be taken into consideration. And also, I mean, I come from a place of disordered eating. So that is knowing how hard it is to struggle with disordered eating. I never want my kids to struggle with that. So I don't want my kids to leave my house. And then it's like come to when they're 18. It's like, let's go party on carbs, right? I don't want that. I don't <laughs> want them to have that yeah. negative relationship. And so, you know, through this process, I'm educating them about nutrition, but I also allow them to try a little bit. And sometimes, you know what, they get stomach aches from it. And then we go through, mm -hmm. okay, why do you think you have that stomach okay. ache? Maybe it's because you had a little bit too much cake at that birthday party, right? Yeah. So it's the lessons learned. So, I mean, you yeah. know, those are all the reasons why I think, um, again, I don't personally feed my kids carnivore. I do limit sugar because... I mean, in my family genetics, right, we are more susceptible to type two diabetes and knowing that and my husband's side having heart disease related to diabetes, again, like I, you know, you have to be aware of genetics and bio individuality and all that stuff. So um, now going to the fruit part of it. Um, 
I used to think, okay, I'm just going to feed my kids berries because they have the lowest glycemic index. But Mm -hmm. the more I'm learning about nutrition, it's a lot more complicated than that. If our kids have the ability to tolerate a little bit more fructose, which is the sugar in fruits, I don't think it's as bad to have some more of the tropical fruits, let's say, right? Um, I also have learned that for example, raspberries are very, very high in oxalates. And so Mm -hmm. I used to feed my kids a lot of raspberries. And now I realize, okay, maybe taking into consideration anti-nutrients, maybe Mm -hmm. raspberries aren't the way to go. And so Mm -hmm. um, I feed my kids organic apples. So I leave the skin on so that to make sure that um, obviously it's, I give a a good wash um, because Mm -hmm. even organic foods still have like pesticides. They just might be organic, right? Um, And so I watch, wash the skin, but I make sure to leave the skin on to keep some of the fiber to have less of the fructose be absorbed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like you said, in-season fruits are best. Always get organic because, um, I mean, you don't want glyphosate on your kids' foods. No. And that's another topic. Um, and uh, in terms of anti-nutrients, so like one vegetable that's good is um, like cucumbers, uh, peel the skin, ideally peel the seeds, um, and yeah. that has far less nutrient, um, anti-nutrients. Um, yeah. I mean, there's several. I mean, what are some of the fruits and vegetables that you feed your kids? Yeah. Um, so I know, that, <laughs> I know that tomatoes are really high in oxalates, but they really, really like the tomatoes. Um, cucumbers, the same thing. Always make sure to peel the skin, de-seed mm-hmm. them. Uh, bell peppers are a little bit harder. And what's interesting is I think that uh, it's really important to listen to our kids and what they want and what they what their bodies need and what they're refusing. So if uh, for the longest time, I mean, some my kids would refuse bell peppers. And, mm-hmm. you know, back when I didn't know anything, I was like pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And now that I know more about uh, anti-nutrients and things like that. If they're refusing a particular vegetable, I'm not going to make an issue of it. There's a reason. Uh, sure. And uh, I'm trying to think vegetables. Yeah. So definitely, I also do apples. Um, I we kind of went through the season. So uh, peaches were in season. Oh, yeah. They would eat. They would eat peaches. Um, when blueberries were in season, they would eat blueberries. And that's that's the other fun thing about educating our kids about this is. You know, a few weeks ago, I had my son ask me, well, why can't we get strawberries? And I was like, because they're not in season anymore. I mean, at least here in the Midwest. Right, um, right. You know, now in season are melons and apples. And then it's just going to be apples for a long time. <laughs> and that's it. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of seasonally we follow seasonal vegetables so yeah no and that makes fruits. sense um i we also feed our kids avocados um avocados has a little bit of i know but yeah um you know sometimes my kids like you said sometimes my kids don't like it and then i'll make it guacamole um mm. and you know if you add a little bit of good fats to it it actually brings a little bit more umami flavor to the avocado or to the guacamole yeah. So um, in general, um, I think in terms of your nutritional style with your kids, you follow the Weston A. Price um, Dietary Guidelines. You yeah. are also a group leader, right? Like what does that all entail? Yeah. yeah. So I'm a chapter leader with a, I have a co-chapter leader, uh, Janine Farzine. She will actually be presenting at the conference in the fall on organ oh, meats. Okay. Um, but together we create uh, workshops and events. Uh, every few months. And uh, another job is we're constantly getting 
uh, emails or phone calls asking for resources. And really the main job of the chapter leader is to create a resource list uh, local to the city where you're in that mm -hmm. has all of the farms, the farmers markets, um, grocery stores, and healthcare practitioners. And so we have this resource list. We've vetted all of the farmers on the list. Uh, we use many of the farms and the farm farmers on the list. And um, anytime someone is looking for, let's say, raw milk or um, just like a, a meat farmer, then this is a resource that we can share with them. Sure, and so some how, of, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say some of the workshops that we've done, which are that's it's so much fun is we've done a fermenting workshop a sausage making workshop, bone broth. Um, we had a meet your farmer night where we had a few farm farmers come in and talk about what they do and how um, their type of farming is restoring the soil and you know those kinds of things. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, that sounds awesome. So how do you um, provide the resources to, you know, like if I were to want to find yeah. uh, raw goat's milk in Chicago, how do I go about, like how do I, how do I contact you and get yeah. this? So if you go to the Wesley Price Foundation website and then click on chapter leaders, it will pull oh, okay. up state and then by city and my contact information is there. Or if you are a member and you get their journal, it's also at the back of the journal. Um, you can, on my Instagram, you can also just send me an email and um, yeah, I usually respond pretty quickly and we'll uh, share the document with you that we have. Oh, that's awesome. So how do you guys vet your um, your resources and how do you find them? Yeah, so um, between Janine and I, we've been to a lot of these farms and oh, seen awesome. them in person, uh, talk to them, uh, ask them questions. I've, I'm actually currently creating a document um, about questions you can ask your farmers just so that we can become more informed consumers mm -hmm. because that's, I mean, it's, you can go to a farmer's market and think, oh, this is, you know, a good food that I'm eating because it's at a farmer's market, when in reality they could be spraying it. Um, it could be non-organic. You know, you just never know. Uh, so it's it's a good practice to ask questions. <laughs> that's that's great. If uh, Once you have that resource, I will um, add it to the links of our show. show awesome. Down. Yeah. Okay. So I also saw on your Instagram that you make raw ice cream. Um, can you talk about how to make raw ice cream? Yes, yes. Okay, so that's something I started doing last year. I bought one of those Cuisine Art ice cream makers. Okay. And yeah, this ice cream, the ice cream machine is the way to go. And in the Nourishing Traditions Kids Cookbook, there is a recipe for ice cream in there. And that's the one that I started with. And then from there, I've kind of just like tweaked and added my own things. Okay. But basically the base of it is raw egg yolks, raw cream, and depending on the flavors, uh, if it's vanilla ice cream, you do some vanilla extract. I put uh, vanilla bean pods in there and maple syrup. And this is where, I, I mean, you can add as little or as much as you want. Mm -hmm. um, I usually will add less and only increase it if I feel like it needs it. but I personally feel that one fourth cup is actually sufficient. Okay. Um, and the recipe calls for four egg yolks and I usually add five just for good measure. And it'll call for two cups of cream and I add three. <laughs> um, <laughs> so really trying to get all that healthy fat in. Yeah. Um, and I've also made a coconut ice cream before with it. So a dairy free option and oh, awesome. that one. Yeah. yeah, the only downside is unless you use some 
form of like a, a stabilizer or oh, uh, so right. like xanthan gum or guar gum. It's not really going to be creamy and like scoop creamy the way, um, you know, like a conventional ice cream would. Sure. That, that, one, that one was a little bit of a trial and error. <laughs> Well, but, that's, yeah, well, yeah I, I definitely got to try that because I like I've always opted for either like the the all natural ice creams where they just have like three ingredients at stores or um, or I'll buy the low carb ones that are creamier. But I mean, the the sweeteners, they don't do well with my kid's stomach. Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah, I just need to start making my own ice cream because I mean, that just sounds very nutrient dense. And um, I think it'll oh, be a fun. delicious. Yeah, and I, I honestly, I don't feel bad about letting them eat it. Because oh yeah, absolutely. I it's know. So yeah, yeah. Along the same lines, I had made a bone marrow custard. Oh wow! Okay. That was kind of how I started um, incorporating bone marrow into my kids. Is because I was a little nervous. How are they going to eat bone marrow? You know. Um, and it's the same thing. You just take a bunch of bone marrow, blend it in with some raw cream, some raw egg yolks. And then it bakes and it turns into like a custard type dessert. Dessert. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. I got to try that too. So it, what did you get that recipe from the, the Nourishing Traditions Kids Oof. Cookbook? Or did you I just think so. That one is was a mixture of just Googling a bunch of different um, Nourishing Traditions style blogs of mm -hmm. bone marrow custard and then tweaking it until I found something that I liked and worked for us. Gotcha. Okay. So. Yeah, I got to definitely try that. Um, let's switch gears a little bit to, um, from just nutrition, but, um, I know you're really big on respectful parenting. Um, I see some of your yeah. posts and I really like it. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, um, how parents can sort of shift to, you know, teaching their parents, I mean, sorry, to, um, raising their kids with respectful parenting? Yeah. So th this is really interesting. This has been a, a kind of a passion of mine that has grown simultaneously with nutrition. Mm -hmm. And basically what respectful parenting is, it's rooted in the truth that our, our kids are people, they're people as well, and they deserve to be respected uh, just as much as we do. And this goes, and it sounds so simple. So you think, oh yeah, 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 of course I respect my kids. Um, but many of us respect our kids on conditions. Uh, so, and, and, and traditional or conventional parenting is rooted in the behaviorist model. Mm -hmm. So if they behave, then I will love them. Or if they behave, then we will do this as opposed to true unconditional, um, unconditional love, which is, you know, wholehearted, respecting them, loving them no matter what, uh, through their faults and, um, yeah, it's been it's been really interesting um, because an, an, another facet of respectful parenting would be conscious parenting, where you realize that the way that we're parenting is actually uh, is is based on our experiences from the past and kind of how like we were raised and we grew up, and so everything from our past and our childhood kind of seeps in to the way we're parenting now and today. And so we're never actually truly objective uh, because we have these preconceived notions and ideas of uh, how we should parent or how our kids should behave. Um, and that, you know, that, that doesn't really give our kids a lot of freedom to, um, 
to, to really just grow and develop naturally. And, um, and yeah, and there's a lot of, there's fear around emotions as well in today's society. And one of the biggest I, I would, components of respectful parenting is allowing and accepting all emotions. Sure. And that's kind of what I'm uh, advocating for is really looking deeper, thinking about the way we were raised and deciding if, you know, if that's the way we want to raise our own kids, accepting emotions, um, and then tying all of that back into nutrition. Uh, because really, I mean, respectful parenting falls in line a ton with nutrition. So this idea sure. of, you know, as parents, we're like, oh my gosh, my kid has to eat this food. And no, actually, you can't make your kid eat anything. You can provide them with the nutrient-dense foods, but they're the ones who are in control. And that's where I think as parents, we get a lot, we get a lot of anxiety because uh, we, we want to be in control of everything. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's been fun figuring out how I can weave the two uh, together. And realizing... Yeah, I think, mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to finish with... Um, Realizing that as as important as our physical health is, our emotional health is just as important, if not more. I mean, we Absolutely. cannot heal physically until we are healed emotionally. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. I think it's fascinating what you brought up um, about respectful parenting and how um, we are raised in this sort of behavioralist method, right? So if you think about it, we even do that with relationships, right? With, um, it's, oh, if he loved me, then he would do this, right? Or yeah. if if she was a good friend, then she would do this, right? There's always these kind of like if and statements, right? Like it's mm -hmm. like, oh, these certain actions means this instead of no, unconditionally, they love me, regardless of if they seem kind of selfish or if they're selfless or, you know, X, Y, Z reasons, because we're all raised differently. And so you need to trust. This is something that I learned actually in high school um, when, I was like overly giving to my friend and I was like, how come you are not giving back to me or, you know, reciprocating to the level that I degree that I consider would be a best friend. And mm -hmm. one thing I realized is um, they said something that was so profound to me back then. And it was, you know, maybe your 80% is my hundred percent, but my hundred percent is still my hundred percent. And mm -hmm. that's when I realized, you know, like I'm the one that's, being really critical of them and not loving them unconditionally. It's like, if you only gave to me or loved me as much as I loved you, then I would love you that much, if that makes sense. And I feel like now, like you were talking about, as we learn these behaviors from our past, we start then treating our kids the same way. And then our kids will then do that with their kids. So I think it's really yeah. good to have this at the forefront of your mind to then be very aware and conscious of what you're doing with your kids and treating your kids. Right. So, you know, we're like, Oh, if you don't, we, we, a lot of people use a lot of bribing. And I mean, I, I use a little bit of bribing too. I'm like, Literally. feed your kids. I mean, feed, eat all your meat and then I'll give you like an M&M. Right. Like, right. no, it's not the best, but, um, but at least I'm aware of it. Right. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, that's it's, the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's I just think that coming in aware. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, it's, it's the parenting world right now is so interesting. You know, we've become a society where we don't want our kids to cry. We want everyone to be on the same playing field. We give everybody a reward, right? Even if like there's no winner, everybody's a winner. 
Um, yeah. And it's uh, it's concerning because when our kids are actually growing up and you know they're finally in a competitive school or they're in a competitive work uh, work world and they have to deal with grief or loss. Um, they don't really know how to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with conflict because we're raising them in a way where it's like there's no conflict for them. And so mm. it's this balance, right? It's this respecting them, but also being aware of like sometimes you lose, sometimes you're the loser, right? So it's it's an interesting point. Um, it's an interesting time for parenting. It's definitely yeah. not easy. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say if if any of your followers have more, um, if they're interested in learning more about responsible mm -hmm. parenting, um, I have several resources and posts on my Instagram page and constantly working to provide more information on it because yeah, I and mean, I'm, I'm learning just as much as anyone else is out there about it. Sure, sure. And I will um, link to all the notes in the show notes, um, all the references we're making. Um, um, I think one last question I have is I know you're big on organ meats and, um, you know, I tell everyone because I know you brought um, uh, beef heart jerky to uh, class one day. And so I always and they're like, what do I do with this beef heart? I'm always like, you should make it jerky because it tastes so good. You would never think it's organ meat. Um, what what other uh, ways do you prepare organ meats and um, any recommendations yeah. you found? Yeah. So I just have to give a shout out to my co-chapter leader. Um, she has this blog, Awfully Good Cooking, and I take her recipes and make them more approachable for the average person. Um, and basically, uh, she was kind of the one who inspired me to start adding more organ meats and not just okay. liver. Liver is where I started. And I think for anyone who's just starting out and you're worried about the flavor or the consistency, the best way to add liver to your diet is to just grind it up, yep. put it in some ground beef, and I promise you, you will not taste it. So I started out with less than a fourth of a pound for one pound of ground beef and then have slowly okay. um, started adding more and more. Now, anytime I eat ground beef, it's a half a pound of liver and a pound of ground beef. It's just like an automatic um, automatic rule, I guess you should say in our house. Um, and then a few other um, a few other ways I add organ meats are, um, like I said, the bone marrow custard. Um, I'll I'll cut depending on the type of cut it is. I'll cut them up mm -hmm. really really small. So uh, before I've diced up sweetbreads really small and added it to a soup to where oh, wow. like all of the vegetables in a soup are di diced up really small. The sweetbreads are diced up really small. No one really knows what's in there. <laughs> it's just all together. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I also really enjoy the traditional organ meat recipes. So mm -hmm. liver and onions, steak and kidney pie, mm -hmm. um, lingua tacos. Uh, oh, yes, yes. Just, yeah, just trying to take these traditional dishes that our ancestors would eat and making them more, I guess, friendly for kids. Uh, with the beef heart, you know, I tried beef heart multiple times and my oldest, my five-year-old mm -hmm. was just really against it. And he was just, you know, he would, he would just say, mom, is this heart? I'm not eating heart. <laughs> and so finally I thought, what if I were to just slice this up really thin, marinate it and put it in the dehydrator and see what would happen. And I did it one time without telling him it was heart. 
it was gone in a matter of like hours. I mean, they just like devoured it. Um, the husband did as well. And ever since then, now I'm not afraid, you know, I'll tell him it's heart. And he's like, yeah, I love beef heart jerky. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. It's really good. The um, one we brought to class, it, um, no idea. Yeah, it was pretty I, good. I know. I, it was the best that I was, you know, tricking people into <laughs> eating their organ meat. Um, so yeah, if, if you're scared of a certain organ meat, I would try dehydrating it, chopping it up really, really small. Um, you, you know, start maybe even starting out with uh, you could like try frying some of them um, mm -hmm. and just I always say small. So work out work, you know, start small and then incorporate more and more. Um, I know a lot of people will take they'll cut them up and and freeze them and just like consume them as if it were like a pill. And I think that's one way to do it as well. But I really want my kids to develop uh, a taste for it and be accustomed to eating it and for it to be something that they enjoy eating and their body craves. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense because, um, so I've tried uh, the beef liver pills and um, just from what we've learned, I, the fact that we're not chewing it yeah my instincts are well we're not starting the digestive process and granted mm -hmm. we take pills this way too but i mean normally we take pills with food and so the digestion process is already there but when you're just swallowing these i i just felt like i was kind of choking on the yeah. i had a one and a half ounces of frozen uh raw beef liver and i did feel better like i felt this burst of energy it's probably the answer oh totally pepper. yeah but, the fact that I wasn't chewing it, I felt like the digestion process was incomplete. The you know, the whole neuro lingual lingual neural. Yes. Yeah. Right. All of that to the brain and the body and getting prepared for digestion like that wasn't fully there. And so I think it's a great idea to get started. But I think you're right. I think especially with kids in order to have them get used to organ meats and those different flavors in their mouth and their palate, um, I think it's more beneficial that they actually taste the organ meats because, I mean, like you said, otherwise, I mean, who's going to freeze and cut it up for them so that they eat it when they're older, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I just want to add one last piece, which is don't give up. Uh, if you end up having to throw out, I don't know, half a cow tongue, that's okay. Um, you know, you can cook it a different way another time. Uh, and just, yeah, don't give up on it. Because I think a lot of times we think, oh, I tasted it this one time and I didn't like it. I'm never going to like it again. Yes. And that, and just like in any uh, thing in life, you wouldn't give up after one try. It's the same thing with food. So if one recipe doesn't go well and it's a total bust, throw it in the trash, give it to your dog. It's okay. Just call it a wash and try again. Yeah, no, no, those are, that's great words. I think, um, I really feel like the whole organ meat fear is a lot of it is just, it's in the head, right? So oh, yeah. I think it's just, you know, we're so used to eating muscle meats and eating, you know, processed foods that smell and taste good, right? That like, um, that light up your receptors in your head. And I think um, that maybe kind of off-putting smell or that um, metally flavor in your mouth initially, yeah. I think it just turns people off. But they're so nutrient dense. That's probably why you taste these minerally flavors because there's so many nutrients in it. Right. So I think it's, yeah. I mean, it goes back to, if you want to have your kids thrive, like have these foods in your body, have these organ meats um, so that 
you know, you are eating the most bioavailable form of nutrients and not having to rely on supplements. Totally. Couldn't agree more, Judy. <laughs> well, this has been a great talk. Um, where can people find you and what are you up to next um, for, you know, yeah. and then we'll also include all of it in your our show notes as well. Awesome. So currently I am only on Instagram right now, uh, building out the website, working on that. I, I am taking clients right now. And um, yeah, between that and my real food school kitchen project, which hopefully will be up and running in November. Um, that's what I'm up to right now. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. And uh, yes, I will get all the show notes ready. And yeah, thanks again for joining me today. Appreciate it, Judy. It was okay, great. Bye. I will bye. talk to you, Christine. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you thought that was helpful. I hope that you have new ideas to feed organ meats to yourself and your family. And I hope you got to learn a little bit about respectful parenting. All right, guys. I will talk to you guys next week. In the meantime, eat a lot of meats. Try to get some organ meats into you. And remember, take care of your body because it is the only place you have to live. All right, guys. Have a good day. And I will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.